Good morning, Third Street. How's everybody feeling? Oh, so much better than earlier today. I'm glad. Worship must have did something to you. Did worship do something to you? Amen. Amen. Did something to like four people. Praise God. All right. All right. Let's get into it. So this morning, uh, we continue a series called We Are Family? Question mark? Question mark's my favorite part. It's the creative, creative touch. Let's put on it at the end. Um, but we're starting a series um, called uh, We Are Family. Um, we're going to run from Mother's Day to Father's Day in hopes of digging into Scripture and gaining a better theological view, meaning a better view of God or a better view of what God intends from Scripture on what the family is supposed to be. We'll fully acknowledge that there's all types of backgrounds in the room. There's all types of family dynamics. And that is, we will touch on all of it at some point between last week and next week. So if you think that this does not apply to you, you are incorrect. Family is something, uh, especially the biblical Definition of family is something that affects all of us. It's something that affects all of us very deeply, no matter where we grew up or how we grew up. Last week, we kicked it off on Mother's Day. Um, Rachel came up here and gave us uh, a, a better view of biblical womanhood. I thought, um, you know, she took a scripture that I think a lot of people are familiar with if you've grown up in the faith, Proverbs 31, and I, and I was like, oh, okay, here we go, like, it's going to be Proverbs 31. Like, women, this is what you should be. But she flipped it on us, didn't she? Man, I'll tell you what. I learned a whole lot last week. I'm not going to act like I had input on that message, even though she wrote it in our house while I was present. I'm not going to act like I did. I, I, I learned a whole lot. and It was incredible. If you did not get a chance to catch it on Mother's Day, go back and listen to Rachel's sermon on biblical womanhood coming out of Proverbs 31 from last week. It is online, thirdstreetchurch.com, or you can hit us up on SoundCloud, Third Street Community Church. Shameless plug. As we dive into family dynamics, it is important, especially when we're trying to gain a better theological view of something, it is important that we know that our theology, meaning what we believe, starts at creation. A lot of people like to start their theology at the fall, meaning everything I view is in light of brokenness. It's in light of the fact that the world is sinful. And that is true, but creation did not start that way. Creation did not start broken. Creation did not start sinful. And so our theology, what we believe, has to start with what we know about creation. And so that's why this morning we'll be getting into the origin story in Genesis chapter 1. We're getting into how God created the family, what his original plan was for the family, why we need it, and what is required of us to take part. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and flip to just open it. It's, it's the very first book. It's awesome. Genesis. It's the easiest book to find. Amen? Amen. Open to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to drop down a little bit to verse 26. But I'll tell you, I'll just, I'll just give you a brief overview of, uh, of what we may have missed 
essentially in Genesis chapter 1, here you go, here's the summary for the ages. God creates everything out of nothing. Somebody say amen. amen. God creates everything out of nothing. In the beginning of Genesis chapter 1, when we see God, there's absolutely nothing. The universe, the the existence as we know it is empty and void. And God decides, um, I feel like doing something today. So God takes emptiness, voidness, nothingness, darkness, and says, let's get a little ball of water going. Yeah, there we go. I like that shape. I like that shape. You know what? But this is still crazy dark. So, 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 you know what? Let me, let me, let me, let me bring some land up, up out of the water. Yeah, let me put a little bit of shape to this. Let me bring some, let me bring some land up. You know what? This land's going to need something. People are going to need to be able to see. So, so, so let me go ahead and turn the lights on. God says, let there be light. And out of nowhere, where there was once nothing in darkness, all of a sudden, there is light. Then he said, then he says, I need something to, 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 to inhabit this area to inhabit the earth. So so let me let me bring up plants and vegetation. Let me put some creatures in the water. Let me put some 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 four-legged and otherwise uh, animals to, to run around, scurry along the ground. Let me put some beasts in the field. Let me put some livestock along the way. Let me bring everything into existence. Let me, let, me, let me create this thing called the moon and let me position it in such a way that when the light hits it in such a way that, that it reflects this beautiful glow onto the world that I just created. Let me put, let me put these things around the earth and the sun and let me, let, me, let me set them into this motion that just perfectly turns ever so slightly at a time and then just naturally kind of like gravitates around this thing. Let me, just, let me just put everything perfectly and beautifully in order. And then he gets to it and he says... I need somebody to give all this to. And so that's where we pick up in verse 26. Scripture says this. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Verse 29. Then God said, Look. I've given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Everything has life. And then, I love this, and that is what happened. Amen. And that is what happened. So in the beginning, God creates everything out of nothing. And what I love about starting in the beginning, not starting like after the fall, meaning like after the world, we had already like messed some stuff up. What I love about starting in the beginning is we learn so uh, closely God's intent for things. 
we learn how, by, by looking at Genesis 1 and chapter 2, we learn how God intended things to be in existence because nothing had quite interrupted creation yet. Nothing had come and dropped a a sinful death bomb on creation yet. It was all perfect. It was all in the appropriate order. And so there's all of this stuff in the right order. There's light, there's darkness, there's moon, there's sun, there's stars, there's creation, plants, trees, animals, you name it. It's all perfect. And also not mentioned In scripture, but absolutely explicit with proper interpretation, let me put into existence reason, morality, language, love, commitment, and creativity in all forms. This is all things we can find in Genesis chapter 1. And then the climax of the story. I got to give this to somebody. This is is too good. This This is so good that I need to create something whose existence is for the purpose of giving this stuff to. They're going to work in the fields. They're going to glorify and honor me because of all that I've done for them. Let me create something to fill this place. So he creates humanity. He creates man and woman. God blesses them, tells them who they are, and then says, now populate the earth. Fill the world with people who will grow up knowing me. He says, I've given you all of this. The world is yours to rule over. And this was God's original intention. Before there was a people of God, before there was the nation of Israel, before Christ himself walked this earth to show us the way and save us all. Before the church even existed, there was the family. The family was first. The family was the way God intended to pass all things on. The family was the way that God was able to say, there's this love, there's this glory, there's this riches, there's all this stuff. I'm going to give it to you, and then you're going to pass it on to your kids, their kids, their kids' kids, their kids' kids' kids, there's kids' kids, kids' kids' kids, and so on and so forth. The family was first. Everything God has and everything he is was intended to be passed along through, say it with me now, The family. What has been passed on to you from your family? Positive or negative, growing up with two parents, one parent, or no parents, something was passed down to us from our family. And why is that? Why is it that our family or the household we grew up in informs our existence so much? Why is that? Even if it's so bad or even if it's so good, how can things take these turns? How can this inform so much about us? The answer is because it was God's original intent for this to be the way he passed on his love and riches to the people who populated the earth. I got two little girls, three and two. Sarah's three, Kaylee's two. And they do so much that, like, they'll, like, do something, and it'll, like, stop me dead in my tracks. Like, oh, my gosh, they get that from me. (laughs) And sometimes it's good. Most of the time, you know, it's something else. Kaylee, 
my youngest especially, my youngest, if you ever wonder what my inner thoughts and inner feelings really are, watch the external actions of my youngest daughter. She gets her outlook and her actions uh, from me. Absolutely 100%. The other day we were going somewhere. I got them both outside. I'm trying to put them in the car. And, and, and Sarah, you know, she's a, she's a free spirit. She's, I love her to death. She's a little bit of a wanderer. And so she starts wandering towards the street down the driveway. So I'm like, hey, Sarah, get back here. And she's not listening. She keeps going. I'm like, hey, Sarah, get back here. She's not listening. So then I had to get the dad voice. I'll save you the pleasure. But, but I, I, I basically had to get the dad voice and say, like, hey, get back here now. So she stops dead in her tracks, turns around, hangs her head, sticks her lip as far out as humanly possible, and slowly drags her feet back in my direction. The entire time, her younger sister is watching this go down. Kaylee decides to wait until Sarah's within arm's distance and then just goes, <laughs> and takes off full sprint towards the road. I didn't even waste my dad voice that time. I was like, Kaylee, and just took off after her. And the entire time as she hears my grown footsteps get closer and closer to her, she's like, <laughs> as if she's going to get away. So I scoop her up, Kaylee. Don't do that again. You don't run out into the street. Do you understand me? <laughs> like, oh my gosh. And I want to be so mad at her. But she's just so funny. And I know this is bad parenting, but I laugh. I laugh because I'm like, you sweet, beautiful, innocent child. You get this so innocently. You come by it so honestly. You get it from me. I know exactly what your thought was. Your thought wasn't, how much trouble will I get in? Your thought was, how funny would it be if I? And I get that. I get that, honestly. But if the family is broken, and I would say somewhere along the lines, all of our families are broken. If the family is broken, then what gets passed on to the next generation is something ungodly. I believe we look to our home to inform who we are and what we should do. So when our kids go to school and hear damaging messages from peers, advertisements, and music and the like all day long, they come home and they are looking for the family to tell them something different. When all kids here all day long are people cutting each other down or giving them a hard time about something or telling them that their views are wrong or that it's okay to just a little bit do this and then they come home and you don't tell them anything different, what are they left to believe? When kids come home, parents, our kids are looking to us to tell them that they're beautiful to tell them that they're intelligent, to tell them that they have value to give, to receive. They're looking to us. Kids are really, really a whole lot smarter than we give them credit for. Kids know they're not going to get that in the world. They look for it at home. They look for it from their parents. That's the real issue here. 
Meanwhile, we want to continue to enlist help from outside our community to come into our schools or into our government to fix our kids. When what our kids really need is the message of love to come home, to come from home. And let's watch, let's watch, bet me that that radically changes their self-view and their worldview. Because that is something the creator always intended to pass on to you from your family. What has been passed on to you by your family? And what is it that you need to pass on to those around you? Let's jump back to the text. Go forward a little bit. Chapter 2. So we're going forward in the book, but chronologically we're going backwards a little bit. Because in Genesis 1, 26 through through 30, it's it's the summary of creation of humanity. Now we're backing up into that in-between time where there was only man and all of creation and woman was not in existence yet. So this is chapter 2. We're going to start it in verse 18. Follow along with me if you can. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. So you ever look at something, you're like, why is it called that? That's so dumb. Man, it's our fault. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals, but still there was no helper just right for him. Verse 21, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God did some surgery and took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Y'all want to say that he's not a healer. That's for free. (laughs) Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. The man exclaims, at last. No, he says, at last. He says, at last, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from a man. Verse 24, we'll stop here. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are now united into one. So God looks around at everything. As he's creating things, he's like, light, woo, that's dope. He's like, animals, woo, outdid myself there. He says, give it, give it, give it shape. How about, how about we throw the moon up there? Yeah, that looks good. Let me, let, me, let me create man. Okay, I see you, man. This is good. He looks at every single thing and he sees that it is good except like one tiny little detail. He says, it's not good for man to be alone. God brings the beasts, the birds, the livestock around the man, but none of them were a good enough fit to be with the man. They were under the man. God says, I will make a helper now. We got to address this. Because helper quite literally means one who supplies strength. So next time you enlist some help, 
Let's remember that the definition is one who supplies strength. Helper does not imply that the person is less than or greater than the other person. It implies that they are fit, equal, like the man. Implies that they are equal. They're just a little different. So God does a quick procedure. So Adam, go to sleep. Cuts him open, takes a piece of him, sews him back up. While he's still asleep, he perfectly and carefully crafts and forms woman. Then he's like, hey, Adam, wake up. You're going to want to see this, brother. (laughs) And he put the two together. And this was necessary because, catch this, this was necessary because humanity expresses... God's image in relationship. Humanity cannot express God's image as an individual. You must express God's image in relationship. Not only in marriage, although that is the closest bond we can possibly have, but also in broader society, in our community. And here's, here's a free preview of, where, of what's coming up in the next couple of weeks. So when we say family... What we're really talking about is community because our understanding of family needs to start going beyond what's in, our, what's in our blood and it needs to start to be informed by what's in his blood. You feel me? So God intends for people to exist in community because that more accurately reflects God himself as God himself within himself is in community. God is in three persons. God is three parts, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That is a community. So our existence must mirror the the very existence of God through community. We are not enough on our own. Here's something we don't want to accept. We need family. We need community. Singles, let me holler at you for a minute. (laughs) I hear you. Singles, notice that in this passage, it did not point out that Adam was wandering around looking for a companion. He was not wandering around looking for, for a companion. As a matter of fact, from what we read from Scripture, it certainly appears to me, as it might to you, that Adam seemed very comfortable just dwelling with God and his creation. Are you comfortable just dwelling with God and his creation? Are you content or have you allowed your need for relationship? Because that part's legitimate. Have you allowed your need for relationship to begin to blur your vision? There's this thing, I don't, I'm sure none of you guys have heard of it. I'm sure it's a foreign concept, or probably extinct by now. But there's this thing called missionary dating. I don't know if you've heard of this before. Missionary dating is when you are attracted to somebody and you know that you are unequally yoked with that person, meaning that person is not the spiritually mature person you need them to be. So you decide that, well, while I'm dating them, I can bring them along, so to speak, to be what I need them to be. Let me give you this one right here real quick. You cannot be a primary disciple maker in a relationship because why? Because here's why. 
You can't disciple somebody into being something you don't know what you need. If you don't know what you need, how are you going to disciple somebody to be what you need? God knows what you need. Adam didn't know what he needed. Adam, you got a companion? I mean, this lion looks pretty nice. No, wrong. I know what you need. And check this out. I'm sure after woman was created, Adam's real grateful he didn't go with that lion. God knows what you need. God knows what you need. Married folks, I can't let y'all off the hook. I can't let me off the hook. Our relationships were meant to be reflections themselves of God. My question to you is, are they? Are our relationships communicating to the typical outsider that all involved in this relationship have value? Do people know God's love and come to a closer understanding of God's intention for family and community by watching our marriage? Paul gives clear instructions in Ephesians chapter 5 for marriage. Men, we are told to lead our household, but not in a way that is belittling or limiting to our women, but in a way that is loving and empowering as Christ leads the church by loving and empowering. Husbands, when, we, when people look at our wife, they should see someone who is well-loved and satisfied. They should see someone who is empowered to charge forward in all the things that God has called them to be. Wives, these instructions on marriage do not take away your voice. Rather, it is for you to use your voice in your support for your husband in his leadership and to challenge him. Challenge him in a way with input that is uplifting and out of love for your husband. And then we look at this last verse, verse 25, end of the section, end of this story. It says, Genesis chapter 2, verse 25 says, Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. The man and woman were naked, but they felt no shame. Once upon a time, people were naked. Once upon a time... Clothes didn't exist. There was nothing hiding anything. Naked in here is not sexual. Naked communicates vulnerability. Meaning between us, there are no secrets. And when there's no secrets, there's no potential for shame. Some of you need to reflect on that in the car. When there are no secrets... There is no potential for shame. They knew and could see everything about one another. We'll talk more next week about what happened and why there's all this stuff between us now. But for now, we must acknowledge that our relationships just aren't like that anymore. Our families just aren't like that anymore. 
There are all kinds of secret shame and reasons based on previous experiences that hold us back. You know how I know. Watch TV. Listen to music. These aren't far-fetched, that far-fetched of ideas. These are real scenarios that people are playing out and projecting. The bottom line is that we do not allow ourselves to be physically, spiritually, or emotionally available. But I would also add that too often we allow ourselves to be sexually available as if that, without being tied to the other three in the appropriate context, doesn't have damaging effects on its own. We need to be vulnerable in our relationships. A family is really meant to be a place where you can be yourself. Spouses, no secrets. No secrets. No fudging the details on where you may have been. No paying in cash because you don't want, to, you don't want her to see that transaction on the card. Act like I ain't been there before. Parents, this is the one that hit me. Parents, your kids want you to be available for them. I promise you that the kids, it might not seem like it. Maybe they're teenagers and they got attitudes all the time. No offense, y'all. Love y'all. Y'all great. Y'all too. But parents, kids would rather have their parents than all of this stuff. If you don't believe me, ask me how I know and I'll tell you later. But parents, our kids would rather have us than all of the stuff. And there are all kinds of circumstances. I understand that. Let me take this second to say that single parents, I believe there is a special kind of grace for you. But your kids just want you to. Are we creating an environment in whatever we're calling or building as family, where there is freedom to be vulnerable? Are we making ourselves available to those around us and to what God has has for us by living in family, by living in community? So what? So what? The family was God's perfect plan for the structure of relationships and existence on this earth. Therefore, our theology of the family needs to be in light of that. God, we have to believe that God planned to pass all things onto humanity through the family structure. We have to believe that with our actions by passing messages of truth and love through ours. We have to believe that we are meant to be in family. We have to believe that it is necessary for us to be in family. And we do that by making sure that all of our relationships are building our community up, not tearing it down. We have to believe that God can and will still work powerfully through the unity of our family slash community. And we have to believe that by allowing ourselves to be available to one another, which ultimately comes from being available and open to God. Let's pray.